the world, the real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com And as the strains of the theme music fade away, you are listening to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Del. I'm Sai. And today's topic, we will be talking about all things Doctor Who. Um, um, Shall we talk about Doctor Who? Yeah, let's talk yeah. about Doctor Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do every single Doctor Who book published in the next... No, we aren't. That's insanity. Um, so, Doctor Who's a show that's over 50 years old. Mm. And that means it predates VHS. Yes. And the problem with that, of course, is that if you're a massive Doctor Who fan and you've missed an episode of Doctor Who, unless you have a TARDIS, which you don't, because you're a fan of Doctor Who, you're not the Doctor... Is the Doctor a fan of himself? I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Anyway, sure, like, yes. I reckon he is, yeah. Yeah. Not all. Yeah, probably. But anyway, if you don't have a TARDIS, it would have been very hard to get your hands on previous episodes, previous stories. Mm. Uh, unless you happen to know someone in the BBC or have access to an expensive VHS recorder or all the rest of it. And there's a whole thing where episodes of Doctor Who are, are lost in time because there was no one there to record them. Mm. So the only way you could actually record a record of the old stories as they've gone, I don't know why I'm waving this at the microphone, is to put them into book form. So there was an entire industry, and there's been an entire industry, of what are lovingly referred to by by the fans as the target novelisations. Now, the target novelisations aren't necessarily from target anymore. Um, but essentially every single episode of Doctor Who or almost every single episode of Doctor Who has had um, a, a kind of treatment of, um, of, of, of in, into book form so rather than, it's brilliant because rather than watching it on the telly, you can carry this on the bus you can dip it into any time, you don't need batteries it's brilliant stuff <laughs> hard copy but you get some really weird stuff. So I've got my hands, um, Doctor Who and the Genesis of the Daleks, which is a reprint of the old Target novelisation uh, that would have been produced back in the day. Ebrew, who are part of Random Penguin, have done this in uh, association with BBC Books. But it's gen- the, the, the Doctor Who and the Genesis of the Daleks. There's a picture of Tom Baker on the cover. Mm-hmm. There's a Dalek. There's Dave Ross, leader uh, <laughs> of the Daleks. Uh, please write in and correct me if you think I've got that wrong. Um, <laughs> alien, quote the Dalek suddenly. Exterminate, exterminate. You can hear its voice in your head, can't you? Slowly the gun stick raised until it was pointing straight at the Doctor. Now the weird thing I found, because I've, I've re-read Genesis, Genesis a little while ago, is if you know the TV series, yeah, and you know that particular story... Mm. There's a load of filler in the middle. We're well, trying to make it a bit longer. Where Sarah Jane um, climbs up a big rocket. Yeah. Now that's great television, as far as I'm concerned. Sixteen-year-old Ed thought it was really good television oh, wow. because you know it, it's kind of pointing upwards, and, and 
Anyway, yes. Pervy yeah. 16 year old Ed thought yeah, it was yeah, brilliant television. There's always been one for the dads in Doctor Who and the 16 year old boys. It's always the way. But in this, the the climbing of the rocket's really scary because it, there's radiation going on around, and she's gonna die. And you know that Sarah Jane's not gonna die because she gets to go and have her own adventures later. You know the story already. Mm. Now I'm sad because Sarah Jane died. Well, no, the actress passed away. I know, it was, really sad. It was really sad. But Dell but... broke the radio. You did, you did break the radio, brought me as well, but no, that's very sad. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's a whole thing with Sarah Jane Adventures where they kept doing that story where Sarah Jane dies. Mm. They kept doing multiple stories along those lines, so you watch the show now and you go, oh, that's oh, really sad. sad. Yeah. It's really sad. But anyway, Genesis of the Daleks, Rip Roaring Doctor Who Adventure. Nothing so to do with sad actress dying. Would it... What, wouldn't it be awful if... if, if, if no. Would it would, maybe in the TV series was it actually a bit scary if you weren't being a perv? Yeah, it, potentially yes. Yeah, but maybe also it's that, also you get the tension <laughs> or you get the tension of the rocket and the radiation. Yeah, there's a really rubbish bit in the TV series where Tom Baker walks out holding to his throat yeah, yeah, a, a, a prosthetic little... prop <laughs> as he's been attacked by a clam monster or something. Because oh, no, it was one of the Dalek gribblies yeah, it's... inside the thing that's jumped out on his throat. One yeah. of the actual Dalek mutants. <laughs> tries to throttle him. Yeah. It's been genetically engineered to hit everything. So yeah. he, he's gone, what's this then? And it's gone, rah! And because it's made out of rubber, Tom Baker's literally holding it to his throat <laughs> in proper panto styling. Amazing. Um, weirdly, as a total aside, I, I did a, a LARP that allowed people to do that yeah. everyone overacted that exact bit everyone had monster, rubber monsters on their face and they're like no get it off I'm pulling it off but I'm holding it on because the plastic doesn't work because <laughs> um, they were held on by sticky back plastic that was that a great happened? game man <laughs> <laughs> but very 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 silly we didn't quite get enough wobbly sets to no. work because we had actual buildings that had like building codes and health and safety and stuff so uh, do they do a lot more of like the because on TV essentially an actor can only convey so much with a look and a face. So assume in a book version we actually get a lot more about how they, the character is feeling about a thing. Is well, that a thing? Yes, I mean I can talk about an older book. I mean one of the original tar- Target books. I don't know if this range has produced it yet, but the I remember the novelisation of the Target of the Five Doctors, where which was famously Tom Baker did not want to turn back up for because he'd only left the role two years previous he didn't Mm. want to be associated with the part for a while and therefore his appearance in this anniversary special is literally a clip from the unaired Sharda which they sort of contrive and as Thomas Baker the full talk is disappearing from time and space as part of this clip the book does go into a little bit more of What's going on with the fourth doctor? Mm. Okay. It was caught in some so kind of time loop, wasn't it? it yeah. It, it seen on the screen. Something had gone wrong yeah. during yeah. his 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 part of the story, but it does actually give you a little bit more of a glimpse than this is from a clip show from a completely different story. Okay, so they're they're able to develop storylines that they couldn't develop on the TV. Mm. So that's very cool. Slightly. Yeah. There's a bit in the tenth planet. Now the tenth planet is entirely lost. Mm. Um, there is there there is no well there's bits of it that's still there the regeneration scenes there but bits of the tenth planet no longer exist uh, because the BBC threw it away by mistake and that was the Cyberman origin story wasn't it it, it is yes. indeed yeah um, and I remember as a kid and I reread it recently reading the novelization of the tenth planet 
and there's a bit where he's trying to land the lunar lander mm. and it's really gripping because it's proper 2001 Space Odyssey style kind of, you know, he's got these joysticks out, they pop out and he's desperately trying to, to, to you know, he's sweaty and he's tired and he's exhausting and this tiny cramped space module is about to crash into the side of the moon and he's going to die and he's the only person who can, who can help him stop this alien invasion and the guy's desperately trying to cling on. And in my brain, my brain imagined it as as a as a story. Mm. And then as a grown up I imagined how they would stage that on television and realised that it would look rubbish. Yeah. Because it would it would literally just be like ten seconds, nine seconds, eight seconds in the sky with a joystick. And there's no way the BBC had that the wobbly sets, there's no way the BBC had that kind of Kubrick style yeah. steady cam mm. direction to make that look gripping. Yeah. But in the book form, it's amazing. It's kind of one of the reasons I, I thought we'd do all of these books on the show or try and try and get into it. It's because there's no possible way that we can do every single Doctor Who book because there's not only the target novelizations, but there's also different novelizations. There's an entire history of Doctor Who. Mm. books um, yeah. that it gets horribly complicated really horribly complicated so the Virgin did a set of new adventures when the series when the series was cancelled the first mm. time around yeah and there was well, a second time around second time second time around the first time around was Colin Baker oh okay so he came so, back <laughs> so yeah. McCoy the McCoy cancellation yes um, <laughs> oh god <laughs> They, they they did a whole bunch of stuff with the new adventures, which explained to you what happened what happened next with Ace. But again, um, the novelisation of Battlefield, not Battlefield, uh, Survivor, uh, Survivor, which has got the weird cat people in the car, in the TV series. Mm. I almost said cartoon series, which is just a weird idea. In the TV series, Survival was very cartoony though, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, isn't there a cartoon series? I'm sure there was cartoons yeah. of Tennant and Martha Jones. No, there was an animated one. Is it a film? Um, oh, yeah, Impossible Quest. Oh yeah, they did, didn't there's they absolutely an animation. They, yes. they did a CGI thing, and it was on the BBC originally, mm. like on BBC, I, not iPlayer, but BBC Online. Yeah, and then they did, and they did a version of Shadow as well as a cartoon. And uh, again, it's a common baker. It's a real time. It's a, it's a, a, I don't know if that was an audio turned um, animated, but yeah, that was another online one. But we're, we're kind of tumbling, tumbling oh, yeah. through time and space. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the, the, the ones <laughs> I got my the ones I got my hand are Battlefield. The thing I find fascinating about Battlefield is in the TV series, the actual TV series, I never found Morgana scary at all. She just struck me as I'll be horribly cruel here, an R.C. actress looking to pay the bills and mm. being very angry and being very scowly at people. And I was just like, oh, that doesn't quite work. Is it's it? what a lot of special guest stars were like, though, in Doctor Who, weren't they? It was like, it was like that. Yeah, it was, it, 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 she does feel like she's phoning it in. Whereas, again, because this is written, let's see, Mark Platt wrote the adaptation of it. There's a great thing about the new Hebrew ones, by the way, is they do a little prologue and a little explanation of you know, the origin and where this, where this book's from and... The chasing face of Doctor Who and this sort of thing, which is kind of nice. Mm. So, Battlefield was originally written by Ben Aranovich. Okay. Of, of London. Yeah. 
He also did one of my favourite ever Doctor Who episodes, which is, I believe, Remembrance of the Daleks. Which yeah. is the 1940s one. Really? Yeah. It's really, it, it's the one that's a massive allegory for racism. Beranovich doing a massive allegory for racism? You surprise me. But yeah, it's a Doctor Who episode that's all about, you know, the Daleks being racist to each other. Um, but they've got Mark Blatt to, to adapt to the Ben Aranovich. We've already got a Ben Aranovich script, so it's good, because it's Ben Aranovich. Mm. And then Mark Platt comes along, who's an experienced Doctor Who hand, and he's just turned this into a rip-roaring, off-fury adventure. It's much better than I remember it on the TV show, and now that I've read it, I don't want to watch the TV show again, because yeah. it's better mm. in my head. It's a um, quote from... There's a guy called John Nathan Turner who used to produce it. Mm. The show in the 80s. The yeah, 80s. entire 80s. The entire 80s. And he said the memory cheats. Mm. Which, by which he went, it's not as good as you remember it, you know. It was kind of, it's kind yeah. of that excuse. Yeah. There's a nostalgia that... Be, be, and especially for people who were like a child in, in, when they watched it the mm. first time. Mm. And nostalgia is a wonderful thing for helping us forget the bits that were crap. Um, so things like you're saying, like when he, that the staging of this little lunar thing, it will have been a man stood in a box making himself shake, wouldn't it? it, it like, but I'm sure people who do remember that from the recent uh, Doctor Who magazine, where they've recently had their 500th issue, uh, where they've interviewed Peter Capaldi and Stephen Moffat, and Stephen has said of Peter that Peter doesn't watch the old Doctor Who episodes from his youth on, on DVD mm-hmm. because. He remembers them being a certain way, but mm. watching them again, he would get a different interpretation. Apparently, he has since gone and watched, rewatched some things, but his original attitude was, "I'm not going to rewatch them because I remember them being like this, and I'm going to play it like this." Yeah, because that's how nostalgia cheats you. I understand. I mean, I, you were making reference to the Dalek mutancies, and I used to be really scared of Dalek mutants when I was a kid because of the horrible squeaky noises they made when they jumped at you and stuff like that. But yeah, it was just. Tom Baker mugging it up with a bit of rubber. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing that I found is that I found that if I rewatch all episodes of Doctor Who, if I've if I've had if I've had a Doctor Who target novelisation or the new Ebury reeditions in my back pocket for too long, if I do the thing where I'm like I watch the TV series, it's like Battlefield's not as good as I remember it. Mm. Battlefield was amazing in my head. Mm. And that's where the memory cheats come, comes from because obviously mm. when John Nathan Turner was saying that, though he probably didn't add the fact that the target novelizations were a thing, they totally were a thing back then as well. They were yeah. part of the they're part of the uh, body of work that is Doctor Who. Then you just notice how carefully I didn't say the word canon. Nah. Can't say the word canon. Or uh, do, start with these. Do, do you want to talk about the night the the night of the Kraken? I do. Um, this is John Green's, sorry, Jonathan Green, if you're looking for it in the books, though. Um, the first of a new series called Choose the Future, or Doctor Who Choose the Future, called Night of the Kraken. It's a game book. Ooh. Well, it's a choose your own adventure. It's, <laughs> Excellent. Let's, let's not emphasise the game aspect of this. You are, um, you are following the Doctor through an adventure. You are making choices about the sorts of things he does. And... Um, I believe you're in Cornwall. I can't remember what time period you're in. 18th century England, says on the back of the book. That's useful. Um, and you are making certain choices as to how he deals with the obvious mysterious goings-on. Uh, I've played through this... Read through this? Played through this? I've run through it twice. Um, the first time, I had the Doctor being very, very confrontational and dealing with things 
in that manner, and that led to a quite short book. The second part. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean you know. Okay, I'll, I'll let you read it and see what happens then. I because I imagined Peter Capaldi being a, he's a, sorry. Is it Peter Capaldi's twelfth Doctor? Because it's a you know, it's a very current book, and I believe he's quite confrontational in the series. So I thought I was being in character with him uh, when I tried the slightly more. You know what? That guy looked quite threatening. I think I'm going to hide behind here. I discovered that there's a lot more going on in the alternative paths through the book. I've not gotten through all of those in detail yet, but I'm sure there's many things going on. Did you not do that thing where if you don't take your finger off the page, it doesn't count? Um, <laughs> I, you don't have to in this series um, because it's not it's not the old trick that Ian Livingston used to pull where you turn to us on the page and you're dead. It doesn't yeah. quite follow that. You do get a story. It does, you know, I don't know whether it necessarily builds up to an exciting conclusion with every ending, but it's not the kind of book mm. where we're going to stop it abruptly and because okay. this, is, this is the kind of book which I assume you're going, you know, it's assumed that parents are going to be reading these to kids who mm. are eight and in bed or whatever. And, you know, you're going to get the full story out of this. It's not going to be too horrific in that sense. That's good. <laughs> the doctor doesn't go- die. Goosebumps <laughs> used to kill me off a lot. The reader beware you choose the scares. Mm. Every page I died. And one of them was really scary. I once died because I tried to run away from a murderer. Um, and in trying to run away, I jumped down a helter-skelter. And then it turned out it was an infinite helter-skelter. <gasps> and now I'm really scared when I can't see entrances or exits. There's a bit in a, at the Vatican when you're walking up to go to the bit at the top. There are these really thin um, spiral staircases, right. which are, are fine. And obviously, thousands of people walk up them every day. You, it, it, it must end. Um, but there was a bit where I'd been walking for a bit and I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the entrance that I came in and I couldn't see the exit I was going. And my head went, what if this was an infinite spiral staircase? And I nearly cried. <laughs> I, I got... We've suddenly gone into phobias that books have given us. I, <laughs> I, I got that when I was a when I was a kid, and it was oh my goodness! I think it was the Lensman series where they're talking about the the mono the the microfilament nanofilament. Mm. So essentially, one of these ship weapons was a piece of string that was so fine that it cut through other ships like cheese mine. Yeah, and I was like, well, how do I know when a thing's sharp enough? How 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 do I know when the edge of a blade is the edge of a blade? If it can get so sharp, I can't see it. Yeah, I just had this moment of like. Looking at needles and going, well, they're very sharp. No, uh, I got over it. But it was that moment of an idea inserted into your brain that the author didn't intend to insert it that way. And you've just gone, but this means, ah! And yeah, but Doctor Who's meant to be scary um, in parts. Um, I'm reminded, actually, the Night of the Kraken. Anyone else read Destiny Quest? The Destiny Quest series. No, it was on Gonglant, I think. Um, they did this. They did this really clever thing where it's normal choose your own adventure, but when you die, you die, but you're a necromancer, so you come back. So you redo the you you rewind time mm. through your magic mm. and do that adventure again, but you keep a record of the number of times you die because you're defying the force of death itself and destiny and fate to twist it into your direction. So your magic, literally your magic power is to alter fate. So you get to rewind back to the start and do that bit of the adventure again. A bit like butterfly effect. Essentially. Uh, but that meant that if you were really rubbish at it, you could like have 
potentially cause catastrophic effects for the for the world itself because you've been constantly like rewinding time backwards and forwards. Made it worse. Made it worse. <laughs> oh god, do it again. Which I really liked as a conceit. It's just like the. It's not just that you've died and you have to play the game again. You're no, you're you're in this constant battle mm. against the against the world, which you could do with Doctor Who. Yes, you could do the thing where it's like. Well, you are you are William Hartnell uh, fighting some Cybermen now. <laughs> now you're the you know, now you're Patrick Trout the... fighting some Cybermen. <laughs> they you, get everywhere. You've made your way to Capaldi. You're now dead. <laughs> It'd be quite a thick book. But um, so it's any good. I enjoyed it because we really like Jonathan Green because he's lovely and he writes he writes a lot of stuff. Uh, Jonathan Green, the fighting fantasy author, yes, yes, and um, the guy who's done a whole load of horror, but yes, John, that Jonathan Green, uh, he's very prolific, and not John Green, the guy who wrote our Fault in the, the Fault in Our Stars, who's an entirely different guy. He may even get to write more. I mean, this is looks like the start of a series. There is, a, it says coming soon, Terror Moon by Trevor Backmansdale, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But they've done Choose Your Own Adventures before because I've got this in my hand. Where it's Doctor Who and Decider Destiny, the Time Crocodile, which is a children's book where the tenth Doctor deals with a time crocodile. <laughs> it's literally a TikTok, TikTok, you know, kind of Peter Pan esque time travelling thing. I'll give that back to you. So yeah, they've done a shed load of Doctor Who, but they've had years and years to do it, like. You'd, surely we'd be more surprised if there weren't loads of Doctor Who books. Mm. Like, well, you're looking at me like I'm mental. It's been a very long time that Doctor Who has existed and that people have loved that character. And some, in some ways, it's been the continuation of the show when the show wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Because, the, as you said, there's the Virgin Adventures, which was from when the show was cancelled with McCoy to mm. the point where McCoy returned, and then there's another BBC books incarnation, which is pretty much. Up apart, apart from the big finished material, in most of the Eighth Doctor era, there's about okay. seventy-five odd books which really developed his character. I like uh, the Eighth Doctor. Mm. It's a real shame that we didn't get to see more of McGann. Is that that McGann? Was it Paul McGann? Yeah, absolutely yeah. lovely chap. Uh, myself and producer Al met him a little while ago. Um, <laughs> Um, that was a good day for producer Al. <laughs> producer Al was very check happy. Out many men. <laughs> <laughs> it's the photo because, like, there's a photo with him, isn't there? And they're just happy, happiest little lady you've ever seen. Well, he's a massive flirt. Because <laughs> there's, there's a thing about Doctor Who actors. Uh, John Barrowman is he's, he's, John Barrowman and Paul McGann apparently in the same room. It's hilarious because <laughs> who can perv on more fangirls? What? They have a flirt off. Well, they're not. They're oh, not, they're they're not that's an episode that needs to be made. They're, they're not. They're not perving so much as they're just very charming. Yeah. Yes. And obviously feedback from the very positive response they get. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, too negative, really, because the fangirls love it. <laughs> so, so there's that whole kind of feedback loop, and I just kind of it's almost a Doctor Who. Episode. Episode when you get like a Blinovich from the limitation of squeeing, oh. uh, where you know, two people get together. Which voice does John Barrowman use when he's at Doctor Who conventions? Does uh, he use American voice? I think he defaults to his gentle Scots. Okay, Scots that's it's nice that he's allowed to do that now. There is a point when um, when Barrowman's character Harkness is introduced, where he says there is this period of his his of his memory that he doesn't have. Some you know previous ah. to appearing in 
the show alongside the Ninth Doctor. Huh? And he does point to the Doctor and says, it's entirely possible he knows why I don't have this memory, for all I know. Mm. And since John Barrowman is now doing Torchwood Adventures for Big Finish, and mm. Paul McGann is still doing Eighth Doctor Adventures for Big Finish, that is a story that could still be told. It could still happen. If they wanted to. <sighs> that could be fun. <laughs> but the, there's that whole thing with... The thing with Doctor Who is the the we touched on this briefly is the concept that there's no such thing as Doctor Who canon because there the isn't. End. Well, there's a lot of contradictory stuff. I mean, you were saying about the the continuation of what happens to Ace in various books, and then there's the Death Comes to Time audio thing where Ace becomes some kind of god. What? Um, there is a lovely moment in the Gallifrey Chronicles, which is the last Eighth Doctor novel in that series, mm. because the TV show is about to res- mm. resume. Um, where someone complains about the Doctor's history because mm. he has three ninth incarnations. Yeah. This is you know, a, you know, a novel about the Doctor's eighth incarnation, mm. but so clearly someone mm. is looking ahead because mm. there is the ninth Doctor of the television show. There is the other ninth Doctor of the television show, now that John Hurt's been involved. There is the Scream of the Shalker. There is the Rowan Atkinson, if you want to count. Mm. So technically there's four of them, in a sense. Yeah. But, yeah, they do like that there's alternate continuities. I, I like that and I think that that's the world that they've created where all of those can exist like when people talk about things I'm like you know what I count Joanna Lumley and that's fine like yeah. it, absolutely and we it's nice that they've created a universe where yeah okay these things happened like, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. It's it's an interesting idea as a, as the Doctor as a commercial property because we, we, we were talking about before the show started, we were talking about commercial novels. Surely they're all commercial. But the thing of Do- Doctor Who and the Doctor as a character is that the BBC owns the rights to the Doctor, but the BBC is owned by the public. So they they can make money out of the Doctor and they can do all the spin-offs and all the various bits and pieces. But one of the things that would go against the, the principles upon which the BBC is founded is to make any of their shows inaccessible. Mm. To make it in such a way that you need to buy... 20 Doctor Who books to watch a piece of television because mm. that's rubbish because if you've bought if you've bought a TV licence so you can watch BBC you can watch Tally mm. you don't want to then be forced to spend more money to understand this product that you've yeah. paid for already. Yeah. so by that nature they have to keep the canon open mm. and they can't then t- they can't do the thing that say Star Wars does where they say well you to read this book, you need to read these other 12 books, which is what they did in the 90s quite a bit. Yeah. Mm. And they can't make it inaccessible. So almost every single Doctor Who book that you, set, you pick up is accessible in some way. There's some stuff that follows on, and there's broader yeah. art plots. I mean, for example, we've just touched on uh, Battlefield in specific. One of the... Is it... Spoil, do we want to spoil a book that's on a TV series from 30 years ago? Yeah, 20, 30 mm. years ago. Oh, 30 years ago. I feel old. Yeah, anyway. You should. Yeah. <laughs> One of the aspects of the story is that this is, in a sense, for the Doctor, the first of two adventures. There is a second unspoken adventure from his future that is referred to during it. Mm. And there is a Big Finish... Uh, the, back when Big Finish did anthologies, they did their short trip series, which was a continuation of the BBC's short trip series. Peter David got the opportunity to basically write the second half of the Battlefield story, where the mm. Eighth Doctor takes on the role that the Seventh Doctor knew eventually he would do. Mm. Um, it wasn't, you know, the, 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 at the time they had, I have no idea whether they ever intended to cover that future material. Uh, there are a few other references to Battlefield uh, in some of the other material, but this was one version where they actually wrapped it up. 
but you can you can get that continuity somewhere. Peter David's an obsessive when it comes to let's take some of these continuity things. Let's try and explain some of them a bit. But yeah, what I also find fascinating from a from a like a writing perspective, we talked to E. L. Kennedy a little while ago when she wrote writes Doctor Who as well, and she wrote a um, Col- uh, not Colin Baker, Tom Baker story. And you're as you're reading it, you can picture the set, and you can sit, picture Tom Baker, and you can picture all the various bits and pieces. It's set on a golf course, it's set in a Scottish golfing vocation resort, and there's a horrible alien monster that's eating people inside in, in mm. Hole Nine or whatever it is, and it's nah. that kind of thing. And you're watching it, and you're like, you're reading it. So you're not watching it. You're watching it. You're not going to get anything out of it. You're reading it. <laughs> Bookstore, bookstore. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you're reading it, and you can picture in your head the TV show, mm. not as I was saying with Ten Planet, the actual the the pressure and the scariness. You can actually see. Well, hold on, hold on. all of the action is limited to these four areas. Mm. Um, this actor disappears. This character disappears abruptly, even though you could clearly do more with that character. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, is that because they've run out of money to have that actor? Mm. And it feels, even though, even though it's not an adaptation of an episode that exists, it feels like a novelization because because she's deliberately stuck to the limitations of the of producing oh, oh, a TV yeah, show. Yeah. She's created something that genuinely feels Doctor Who, yet at the same time has alien spaceships, has alternate dimensions. Has a scene that, if it was on television, would be literally Tom Baker standing on a sound sound stage while they shone lights at him, and him talking. That would be what it would look like in the telly. In the novel, he's like floating in alien gunk and doing this various bits and pieces. But you can see how they would cheat that on the on the screen. So, I think one of the things that seems to come through from all of these and various books and various kind of time periods that have been discussed is it seems quite nice in that all of these books seem like they've been written with love, with absolute love for this um, idea of, of what the Doctor is. And that's really lovely because I think a lot of novelizations of TV series or kind of book series created from TV series are just kind of cash right? cows, yeah. yeah. And it's it's right, it's ghost writers doing it because it's it's a quick buck but actually it does seem like if because you're talking about them with such like, kind of you're clearly quite happy about these stories and you've both really enjoyed them and if they were just written by people who didn't care I don't think you'd have that sort of feeling and that's really lovely, that's, that's a really nice thing I actually have talked in the past to um, people who are now novelists mm it's like well how did you get into writing and I'm like well I got into reading through Doctor Who because I love Doctor Who and I read the first this novelisation or that novelisation and it's not a it's not a surprise or a stress uh, I should point out by the way you can there's a there's a book called On Target by uh, David Howe of Telos Publishing which is out uh, it's coming out soon or it's out now I've not read it we might get around to reading it at some point but there's apparently the history of the target novelisation books well, we were going to briefly talk about that instead but I haven't had time to read that it that is so. some in-depth that's specialised right yeah. there isn't it the history of the target novelisations of Doctor Who that's, it's like a that's some next, next level, level of yeah. nerd <laughs> what I've suddenly just realised while I'm looking at the, the new Hebrew ones because Ross's face is going 
how can I pre-order this? (laughs) (laughs) Telos Publishing. (laughs) The clue is in the name, because Telos is a planet in Doctor Who. Yeah. Where the Cybermen come from. I just realised, so we've got the Visitation, we've got the Zarbi, and we've got Benjamin and Bowers. And these are, I've just realised something that's in common with all three of these books. Mm-hmm. In the TV show, the special effects are terrible. <laughs> um, the Zarbi is the one with the space ants and the space moths. And there's a lovely drawing of a space moth there. It's just a man in a fluffy mask, really, it's isn't it? It's a man it? in a fluffy with mask. With two sieves, well, tea strainers. So, Definitely tea strainers. So you can visualise the terrible special effects while you're reading the book. But this is it, isn't it? They've gone right. Well, let's do a novelisation of a book that of a show that looks rubbish, mm. but it's a great idea. Um, the visitation, I seem to recall, has the, the, the strange alien lizardy thing where his face is hanging off because they haven't cured the latex properly, and it just, <laughs> looks a bit, just looks a bit wobbly. It's one of those things that ruins the eighties for me. Is having having studied special effects. I've studied special effects, by the way. Uh, having studied special effects for various bits and pieces and been a LARPer, um, where you end up default playing with latex because it's the cheapest yeah. way to do a lot of special effects for the stuff. Uh, LARP is where you pretend to be an elf or whatever, uh, in case you've never worked that out. Or a spaceman. Uh, or a spaceman. But you can do all sorts of really cool, easy, cheap stuff with latex because latex is fairly cheap. But you watch the visitation and you go, that's, that's an uncured mask. They've got that wrong. They know they've got that wrong. That's why it's tearing. They've totally got that wrong. Maybe that's what they were going for. Sort of. It's the fragility of the character. Well, he's got radiation sickness or something, but I think they brought that in because the mask was <laughs> And Vengeance of Varos is um, puppets where they've t- taken some... They've literally got the actor to shove their head in like a puppet yeah like the, they've made up the face and the face leaps out of the puppet and they like sit in a little chair underneath a thing mm-hmm. and they've got these weird kind of little bodies like mini monster bodies yeah. flapping around and they're like horrible space luggy things I've oh, done yeah, a yeah. performance so, using that medium before I was a cat and I had a big giant cat head and a tiny little body under my chin but my hands were still my hands and there were these little arms that went from this little body to my hands it was brilliant I loved it it just makes me think of Vic and Bob doing Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye <laughs> watching the ships coming in it was so good but again in in the book version the cell in terms of the, the horrible little yeah. monstery things are cool because you know they can yeah. they can do stuff and they can move whereas in the TV show there are literally two actors going hello yeah. It looks from the picture on the book. It looks a little bit absorbable. Yeah, yeah. Shall, shall we not talk about the absorbable? Oh, wasn't that the Blue Peter winner? Yeah, it was. yeah. Was it I thought played by Peter K. The, yeah. yeah, the the Peter K. episode oh, with um, it. it's got um, Mark Warren in, and mm, he chats monsters. up. Yeah, he chats up Jackie mm. to try and get closer to Rose because there's a Doctor Who fan club. Right. Um, yeah. Because they've like seen various bits of him throughout history oh, and stuff. yeah I remember the, the I think plot, that's yeah. a lovely story and I like that they used to do stuff with Blue Peter it's a great idea for story yeah it's a it's actually it used to be one of my favorites to a certain point yeah um I love the idea that originally there were it was the original script had like 
dinosaurs from Doctor Who and the Invasion of the Dinosaurs and it was full of like little bits and pieces that were hot and back to the original series mm. but they had no budget to do that well and, they didn't have budget for the monsters because so, when the kid originally submitted it he intended the Absorbaloff to be bigger than houses yes that was the oh! thing <laughs> he was, oh! and this kid was distraught that his monster had been recreated at human scale because they, 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 they started directing it and putting like put the script together and then someone went why is there a double decker bus <laughs> and it's, it, the kid had drawn like two double decker buses <laughs> to prove how big it was <laughs> and they hadn't realised oh, no. up until that point and apparently the kid was like yeah he's supposed to be giant um, but the kid I think the kid was quite pleased because it's such so a still oh, did his story yeah. yeah he's probably at university was, now the, the, Van, the Van Gogh one was a <gasps> Blue Peter one as well wasn't it because that was the, one of the competitions for that series was designing the weapon wasn't it or designing the Doctor's tool designing a gadget yeah yeah and that it was the mirror thing wasn't it wasn't that a Blue Peter Possibly. There was also a designer TARDIS console which was in the Neil Gaiman, the the Doctor's Wife Uh, episode. I absolutely adore both those episodes. The Van Gogh one is one that just makes me... Oh, yeah, it's heart-wrenching, isn't it? um, Um, But no, the Doctor's Wife is, I think, one of my favourite pieces of television. So good. It's the conversation I had with a friend of mine about the, 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 the Van Gogh one where they were like, that's an awful treatment of depression and I was like what someone talking about an invisible monster that no one else can understand no one else can see and no one else can feel and you can't possibly communicate it to anyone else that's not a bad metaphor for depression at all I mean the outcome as well where you know uh, I can't remember who the companion was now it's Amy Amy sort of of says um, oh it's brilliant but but, but you've changed history now you've cured his depression it's like no I haven't he's still going to die what was the point then? Well, because he was happy for that yeah. hour or whatever. Yeah. And that's, again... We've, we've added to his pile of good things. Yeah. yeah which, exactly. which is a wonderful treatment of mental health yes, and how absolutely. you should do mental yeah. health and yeah. that sort of thing. But the doctor's wife is amazing, but Neil, it's Neil oh. Gaiman, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my friends is a grip, and he did the grip work for um, for all of the Matt Smith uh, Doctor Who's. And after, because we used to watch Doctor Who Confidential so that we could be like spot Owen. Um, but yeah, that after that one, I messaged him and was just like, it was Neil Gaiman on set? Like, this is genuinely amazing. You've, like, and he was just like, yeah, he was. Um, like, he's very nice. Neil but yeah, it's just. And yeah. talked about skipping rope to fly TARDIS. That's brilliant. <laughs> it was just like, I, was, I think they made a fantastic piece of television and it's a gorgeous story. And I cry every time, every single time. Um, and I'll always be sad that I didn't get to play that part. <laughs> mm. One of the things I find fascinating... You'd have done well. <laughs> You'd have been lovely. I'd have been a fantastic TARDIS. You'd have liked to jump on and snog him as well, wouldn't you? So there's a series called Faction Paradox, which are not Doctor Who novels. Because yeah. people were writing Doctor Who novels, and then the new series came out, and they still wanted to write their Time War, Gallifreyan, weird story thing. Which kind of the show spun off, but went in a different direction with it. Mm. Lawrence Miles, who wrote at least some of those. I don't know if he was... They were no, all no, those. Lawrence, Crazy Larry, yeah. Okay. Um, he wrote some of the eight Doctor series I mentioned before, and probably some of the best of the Doctor novels of that time. Mm. Uh, but quite a few of which, you could argue, have inspired a lot of the Matt Smith era in some way, okay. because of ideas that have been covered since. Such as, what will happen to the Doctor's corpse? Mm. There are, mm. and what happens if you did this? Can you know, is 
from that matter, is Doctor Who history, is the TV series Sacrosanct. Can you twist it? Lawrence Miles, by the way, is on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter quite easily. And he's hilarious and terrifying in equal measure. Excellent. Um, there was a moment where I thought I was going to be on a panel with Lawrence Miles and I was excited and terrified at the same time because he's a very bombastic chap, shall we say. Um, and I don't think he'll ever write mainstream Doctor Who, which is why he tends to end up writing Faction Paradox, which is sad, but also kind of good. I, I believe he's had an attitude at some points where... He would love to write Doctor Who, except that he has to include the Doctor in it somewhere. Michael Murcock did that. They got Michael Murcock to write a Doctor Who novel. Mm. Uh, we talked about it in the previous book, where way back when. Mm. Uh, and they got him to write a Doctor Who novel. And the thing he did, and Michael Murcock, of course, famous for writing his mind-expanding uh, omniscient scenes of telepathy, which you suddenly realise are actually acid trips. Uh, <laughs> And other sort of time travel mm. stuff. Uh, he's he's created characters that, you know, eternal champion that go through time and space. Mm. So they got him to write a Doctor Who book, and it's great except for the one important problem: the Doctor's not really in it much. But <laughs> some of the best ones, Whipping Angels, so they could do yeah. the, the mid-season break where the Doctor is in it for like five minutes. Nearly, or whatever. doesn't doesn't each doesn't each series have an episode that the Doctor isn't really in? So yeah, you've got the Sally Sparrow story. Oh, mm. Turn Left, Turn Left is an amazing episode. But there's no reason to do that in the books because they don't have to get the actor in to help write it. Yeah, but they're still fantastic stories, and I'm That's pleased true. those stories have been told. Like again, especially turn again turn left to cry every time as well. Like constant crying. The bit when oh, when they take that family off to like a labour camp and yeah. and Bernard, but but Bernard, Bernard, what's his last name? Bernard Cribbage. That's it. Crib, crib, Cribbins. Cribbins. What well, I, I know his name isn't Bernard Cribbage. <laughs> Bernard Cribbins. But the fact that when he that stood game. there and it's just like not again, and it's. It's sad, and it's but I, I am so happy that someone told that story, mm. and it would that story obviously wouldn't exist if the Doctor had been in, in the story, rather than being Gollum at the end. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> different story, but the, 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 the CGI wizened old Doctor Man at the end, yeah. the, the, the Master had on his sky ship looked a bit Gollumy. <laughs> The, or, or Dobby. Yeah, Dobby. Yeah, yeah, Dobby. Yeah, Dobby the Hatshaw. Not Dobby. That's that was like a Dobby. That, that, that's that's from <laughs> that's from Rent a Ghost. Oh man. <laughs> well, there, there, there's you know the Mash Rent- up. <laughs> oh, the Rent a Ghost novelizations, of course, don't exist. All they should do. Rent a Ghost went on for a very long time though. It was like it started in the seventies. It continued for like a good ten, fifteen years. I'm going back and seeing some old episodes. I did, and they're weird. <laughs> I have literally no idea what you're talking about. There's you don't a, remember Rent a Ghost? No. There's kids' TV show. Housekeeping, taunting, just call Rent a Ghost. When a was t- this? It was the 80s. 70s. I was 80s. around in some of the 80s. Yeah. But no, I have no, no idea. No, literally, literally, you see what it Because it's about ghosts that get vented out to scare people. <laughs> um, and literally, the first series, you see someone die. Because <laughs> they've got to die. It is it's it's quite, it's quite strong, yeah. So, so the ghosts are uh, being sidetracked. I'll stop. Well, let, let's until we can find the novelizations of, of Rent a Ghost. Well, I maybe maybe I can write one. I don't know. <laughs> 
if you're listening, people from the BBC, we have a terrible idea for you and some humble apologies. Um, but you, get, you could make it a gritty reboot, couldn't you? <laughs> Angst and banter. Rent a riff. <laughs> Getting back to the the, the, the whole... I mean, we, what we've successfully done is we've talked around the entire concept of Doctor Who books without actually reviewing single one. Um, <laughs> oh, we have. We, I think that's pretty effective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, crack it. I feel like you, you've you've had a big discussion about Battlefield just over the space <laughs> of everything we've what discussed. What the other ones again? So the ones I've got in my hand... Well, the, uh, no, I'm not going to go through... Uh, the ones I've got in my hand are Genesis Daleks, Battlefield, Web of Fear, Zarbi, The Visitation, and Vengeance and Barrows. Um, but they are literally... I mean, those are the ones that are re-released and they've got lovely covers and they look gorgeous. Mm. But you can find a target novelisation online for pence. Um... There was a point where it, I think a popular sci-fi magazine just gave them away randomly as part of a thing because you could get so many of them and there were so many available. And it's also that one of those weird things where in the UK they're everywhere. You go over to the states, however, and they're like, "I need this one to complete my collection" because there's some of them are less less well known than others. And obviously, there's huge gaps in the stories. But yeah, the the, the there is actually an episode of very early Doctor Who without the Doctor. I think it's called Galaxy Five. No, sure. There is, yeah, it's a first Doctor story without him. And it's it's literally a bunch of aliens get together and go, the Daleks are a bit of a problem. Let's have a conversation, and it's like half an hour conversation about you know much you do about Daleks. They're trying to work out what happened. They haven't done a Doctor Who meets Shakespeare riff yet, have they? There's David Tennant's Shakespeare Code yeah. with Martha yeah. Jones. Make Shakespeare, <laughs> but but no one sat down yeah. and tried to do like a Shakespeare story where you introduce. Doctor Who elements. Like, oh, yeah, Rome, right, that Ro- way around. Romeo and Cybermen, or Cybermen and Juliet. Cybermen and Juliet. <laughs> uh... Possibly they have been. I'm not sure, but it's uh, worth researching. Carl and Thals with Romeo and Juliet. That would work really well. It would do, actually. The Daleks is Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> uh... So, we have to go. So, uh, it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. Goodbye from Del. Goodbye from Sai. Goodbye from Ross. You've been listening to Brave New Words. Mm-hmm.